All right, we are going to get started here. We are continuing through, uh, continuing through some reflection as we prepare and gear up for Easter. Um, I'm sure many of you thought I would be riding in on a donkey with palm branches for Palm Sunday, but I'm not. Um, so we are actually going to look past Palm Sunday, as in the event already happened in our text, and uh, we're going to continue as we draw closer to Friday. Uh, I hope that you can make it if you can. We have a 1 p.m. service. Uh, somebody asked me, well, why 1 p.m.? Well, traditionally, um, you do a service at, between 1 and 3 because that's when Jesus uh, hung on the cross. And so as you reflect on that, so that's why we do it. And I realize that probably today um, we may not have as many uh, uh, businesses that let off people on Good Friday as they used to, but... Um, we are going to do that this week, and we're going to spend some time Friday reflecting on why do we call it good when it seems like such an awful event. But um, if you would, turn in your copy of God's Word. We're going to look this morning at Luke chapter 23. We're going to look specifically at verses 32 through 43. So once you've got your, co- or your copy of the Word open there, if you would, stand with me. We're going to read through, starting at verse 32, and we're going to go through verse 43. Starting at verse 32, it says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just a time to reflect on Jesus dying on a cross on our behalf. And Father, I pray that as we reflect on this, we would rejoice in the fact that our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. So Father, I pray that you would exhort us and encourage us this morning as we look at your word, that you would teach us, that your spirit would interpret and, and educate us this morning, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to go through some uh, context here to kind of put it all, the story in place. And we'll go through the story and then I want to focus on the cross and the the message. I think there's three important points that we want to draw out from this text in regards to the cross. So first of all, some context. You know, the trials are over. Um, 
Jesus went to the Sanhedrin. They arrested him at night. They brought him in before the Sanhedrin. Uh, they, they put him on trial. They took him to Herod. Herod said, uh, you take him to Pilate. They marched him to Pilate. Pilate says, I don't see anything wrong with him. Uh, and the crowd mob rule took over. And Pilate says in this ceremonial uh, rubbish, washes his hands and says, I'm innocent of him. You take him and you crucify him. And so they march him through the streets on display. Um, they nail him to a cross. Then they throw the cross into this hole as they hoist it up. And he is left there on display. And what comes into the point of our story is this struggle that Jesus is now going through between life and death. I think so oftentimes we take the physical and isolate it out for the spiritual here. And I want us to understand that this is a very real physical difficulty that if you uh, ever have had your diaphragm pressed upon how hard it is to breathe, the reality here is that Jesus, as He's hanging on the cross with nails through His hands, would have had to lift Himself up. You, you guys that have been doing these Spartan races, I mean, think about that, having to hang by your hands with nails through it. And in order to stay alive, you would have to lift yourself up. I've tried doing these pull-ups as I'm getting myself in shape. And um, I think I'm at a disadvantage with some of these guys because I weigh about 60 pounds more than them. But to, to lift your body up, I mean, that's a real life struggle here. A physical torment. We see this and so oftentimes we spiritualize it and there is so much spiritual richness. But there is real physical struggle going on in this text and so we start the story and the story says that there are two others who were criminals led away to be put to death with him a couple of things i want us to i'm just going to walk through and give some some thoughts as we get through the story and then i want to draw out from the text some important application so it says that there were two others and the thing that stood out to me as i started reading this this week is it says that they were led away to be put to death the goal was death I mean, that's the cruelty of this world. The, the goal in this whole thing was death. And one on the right and the other on the left. It makes me wonder as I hear that, I wonder where those two brothers were that were fighting to be on Jesus' left hand and on His right hand. I wonder if they were thinking, yeah, that's the place I'd like to be at this moment. The heart of Jesus in this text just shines out though. It says, and when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus says, Father, give me relief. This really hurts. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Not, Father, help me. Not, Father, relieve me. Jesus' heart, he was never looking for relief. He was looking for redemption from the goal. What an incredible thing. And not only that, His love shines forth that He says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then you see the heart of the people and all those watching and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at Him. He saved others. Let Him save Himself. If He is the Christ of God, His chosen one. This shame of the whole scene that's going on here. You have... While he's dying, while he's suffering, they gamble away his, for his clothes. And think about that. 
This man dying, and in the midst of it, we talk about the inappropriateness to laugh during a funeral. Here's a man dying, and they're gambling his clothes. The crowd is standing by watching in amusement and and, and kind of entertainment. The rulers, the chief priests, and all these guys are, are watching Jesus and mocking Him and saying, hey, if you're the Son of God, why don't you come on down? The soldiers come along and they begin to mock Him. Everybody's mocking Him. There's a mocking sign placed above Him. It says, and, and the sign that's above Him with an inscription that reads, this is the King of the Jews. And it was recorded in Matthew. We're told it's recorded in three different languages so everybody could see it. Everybody could read it. The criminals, even the ones dying beside Him, as they're struggling to breathe, I mean, think about that. You know, when your diaphragm is being pressed, how much energy it takes to breathe in, it takes energy to breathe out, it takes energy then to speak, they have enough energy while they're dying to say, I'm going to mock this guy. And I'm convinced both of them mocked him. I mean, you read the other two passages, or the other accounts in, in, in Matthew, and also I believe in, in either Mark or John, it says that both of them were reviling him and mocking him. And later on, as we'll see, one of them must have had a change of heart. But in the midst of dying, they say, well, we're going to take our pot shots as well. And what amazes me is they had already won. All these people had already, in theory, won. He's dying, but they're rubbing it in. You then have this conversation that starts. Imagine as they, (gasps) and then they would speak. What that would have been like. Dying breaths, talking through. And the criminal, the first one says, if you're the Christ, save us and yourself. And somewhere along the lines, the other one must have had a change of heart and this incredible conversation goes on. He says, he he rebukes the one criminal and he says, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receiving due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. There's, there's lots of debate, by the way, about what these criminals had done. I mean, the texts tell us the, the English translation is oftentimes robber. Um, but the reality is the Greek wording typically means like an insurrectionist, a violent criminal, not just a common everyday thief, but a violent criminal. And so the one looks and and he has this incredible moment and he rebukes the one and then he has a plea for mercy. Consider what his statement means. He had no hope in this life, right? He's dying. What good is it? I mean, we think so oftentimes people live religious lives to do things to make themselves feel better. To maybe uh, uh, to make their life, you know, some some uh, people believe in karma, and so if I do these good things, my life in the future is going to be better. Good, what good, what good goes around comes around, you know. And so people, he had no hope of that. He's dying. His his life consists of maybe two, three days at most. Some criminals would hang on a cross for multiple days before they finally expired. I mean, he has no hope. He's not getting down. 
But yet he turns to Jesus and he says to him, Lord, he recognizes who he is. There's, there's value in that. And he recognizes, he pleads with the one person he could thought could make a difference. And his plea, notice his plea, it has nothing to do with this current life anymore. But a future life. What an incredible thing. And then we get the most incredible, in my mind, one of the most incredible responses in all of Scripture. He says, Jesus, remember me, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, with his dying breaths, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's a promise given. Notice he says, break it down. He says, truly or assuredly, when Jesus gives his word, can, you can take that to the bank. It is for sure, certain. Notice the timing of it. Today, today. Notice the recipient of it. You. The action will be where? With me in paradise. Is that not the greatest promise we could ever receive as human beings? Today, you will be with me in paradise. The most awful of circumstances, two men hanging on a cross, dying with their last gasp of breath and the greatest promise ever made. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That's the story. And I want to focus particularly this morning on the cross. The cross, the symbol of Christianity for so many people. We wear crosses sometimes around our neck. We have them. Some people will tattoo them on their bodies, and, and it's become such a symbolic thing. Uh, uh, August, or not Augustine, uh, Constantine uh, went to wars with the symbol of the cross upon his shield as his banner, as he claimed that God gave him a vision that with this sign you shall conquer. I'm not going to debate that. Fascinating history. I'm not sure that it was quite accurate. But this story tells us three important points when we consider the cross. I want us to consider the cross this morning. Why is it so important? What is so significant of the cross? I want to start, first of all, with the message of the cross. The message of the cross in one word is summed up, and and it is mentioned in this passage. When the criminal recognized it, he says, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? The message of the cross is one word, condemnation. It is ugly, it is brutal, yet it is beautiful. Three things about the message of the cross. Number one, one truth. Why a cross at all? Why a cross at all? I mean, it's a, a brutal thing. You know, I, I, when I was in... Uh, seminary, we talked about this whole idea of people wearing the cross and, and what that symbolizes. And to us, it means something special. It means the death of Christ, meaning the forgiveness of sins. But the reality is we're wearing like the death sentence. Like, why not put an electric chair on a necklace and wear it? That's the reality. I mean, it's the death of Christ, the death of our Savior. Why? Why a cross at all? Words that come to my mind when I think of cross are crushing. It's crushing. It's an awful experience. I think of suffering. I think of wrath. I think of punishment. I think of death. 
I'm sure if we just pause for a moment and you think through, what are the words, the first words that come to your mind when you think of cross? And then I think of why Jesus, what did He do? Why, why did Jesus go to the cross? What was, what was the reason for it? The reality is, what did He do? He did nothing. Mark, or Luke tells us that, that uh, Pilate says to the crowd, he says, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. After examining him before you, behold, I find nothing that this man is guilty of. And he's not guilty of any of the charges against him. And neither did Herod, he says. For he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by this man. In 1 John 3, verse 5, it tells us that, that Jesus came to take away sins. Why? Because He appeared as one who had no sin in Him. What did He do? He did nothing. So why? The only answer? For someone else. Right? Mark chapter 10. We're going through the book of Mark and I mentioned this uh, towards the beginning of our series, that Mark chapter 10, verse 45 is the turning point of the whole book. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to offer His life as a ransom for many. Why a cross? One truth, and this truth digs deep and hard. And I said the one word for us is our condemnation. The cross means our condemnation. And, it, and, and His sacrifice for our condemnation is an incredible thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For our sake God made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the most insane mathematical equation that has ever been written. And I praise Jesus for it. Perfection plus our sin and condemnation equals our righteousness. What an incredible thing. Him who knew no sin became sin for us. And here is the reality. One truth, the most difficult truth for all of humanity to accept is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and deserve death. The most difficult truth for humanity to ever accept. We can read Romans chapter 3, which is this incredibly brutal truth about humanity. There is none that does righteousness. No, not one. There is none that seeks after God. No, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel tells us in his prophecy, in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, the soul that sins, it shall die. That is the one truth that humanity has such a hard time. Go talk to somebody on the street and ask them, and I guarantee you, they almost always say this, that mankind is generally good. And there's more good in people than there is bad. And we're generally okay, and it's all right, and it's all going to be fine and dandy. Here's the one truth that the message of the cross should convey loud and clear. Condemnation for all who have breathed because of sin that has made man fall short of the glory of God. There's two tragedies in this story, too, in the message of this cross. Because we have two other crosses, don't we? Thief one and thief two. Tradition has given them names. I bet you didn't know that. I'm sure they're 100% accurate. Thief one, the bad thief, is known as Gestas. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I really don't care because it's probably made up anyway. 
But he's a picture of a life thrown away, is he not? Life that was given by a creator, breathed. Spent his whole life trying to acquire stuff. Trying to steal and take stuff that will amount to nothing. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, what would it gain a man if he gained all the possessions of this world yet forfeited his very soul? It's a life wasted. Thief 2, tradition tells us his name is Dismas. Sounds good. I look at him and I see a life with missed opportunity. We can live a life filled with emptiness. Thank Jesus, though, that here this man at the end of his life was given a new birth. But I wonder if in his last moments as he reflected back, he thought, man, how much of life was missed? It shouldn't be our goal to make it to deathbed and then convert to Jesus. Yes, we want to have people convert to Jesus and come to Jesus, and that is an amazing thing, but those people oftentimes reflect back on their life wasted and missed. Two tragedies in this cross. There's also three thieves. One truth, two tragedies, three thieves. And I know some of you are going to say, you're calling Jesus a thief. Yes, I am. Two were paying their debt to society while one paid our debt of sin. Notice the comments of the thieves. One dying in sin, one dying to sin, and the third one dying to take away sin. John tells us in in John chapter 1, verse 29, that John the Baptist saw Jesus walking by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that must have rang over and over again in the mind of John the disciple because when he wrote his epistle, he said in 1 John chapter 3 that he came to take away sin. What an incredible message. This is the message of the cross, that it is a message about condemnation in the world and Jesus doing something about it. That's the first point. The second one is the ministry of the cross. The ministry of the cross is the greatest work of our Lord. It is salvation. Notice the requests that are made. Two very different requests. Both thieves made requests to Jesus. Consider the struggle. It would have been to talk. We mentioned that. With their dying breaths, they said two different things. Very different. The first one said, if... You are the Son of God. There's a question there. If you are the Son of God, save yourself and who? Us. For the, those who do not know Jesus, those who have no relationship with Jesus, the ultimate question almost always is, what's in it for me? Because we are so selfish when I was going through a marriage retreat with my wife a number of years ago, the, guy, the speaker said something I'll never forget. He says, look at your beloved wife, spouse, look them in the eyes and notice something. You are looking at the second most selfish person on the face of the earth. We're like, whoa, that is so awful. He said, you know who the first is? Yourself. I don't care how good you are. The reality is human beings are selfish by nature. We want what's in it for us. We need us is what we say. 
I find it amazing that this is the exact same wording that the disciples used before they truly came to trust Jesus. Remember that story that we talked about a few weeks ago about Jesus calming the storm. What did the disciples do when they came and woke Jesus up? They said, Lord, save us! And Jesus later rebukes them for their lack of faith. The second request is so vastly different. Lord, not a question. Remember me, a simple cry with an incredible recognition. It's one difference in their request. One asks to be saved from a situation, the other from sin. Notice, an attempt here by the first one is the attempt that so many of us do so oftentimes we attempt to make Jesus a magic genie in a lamp. We try to make Jesus Santa Claus, right? How often, how many times do we reduce Jesus to this? Jesus, when we pray, Jesus, I need this. Jesus, I need this. Jesus, I need this. There is nothing wrong with presenting your request to God. We're told to do that. But how oftentimes do we forget the reality that He is our Savior? And instead of focusing on Him and His glory, it is about what I can get and what I need, and what I want. Many people pray in times of trouble. And it's unfortunate that most of the time their motive for this is to get out of trouble instead of to learn from what God is trying to teach. And oftentimes it's because we're sorry for being caught, not sorry for our actions. And this thief on the cross was not sorry for what he had done. He was not sorry. He was not remorseful. He was not repentant. He was, God, can you get me out of this situation? The saying has been well documented. I don't remember who said it, but there is never an atheist in a foxhole. That when bombs are going off all around, people, even as though they are atheists by, by name, they will cry out to God because they're in trouble. The other one, his request is from sin, a repentance. He's been mocking Jesus. At some point, there's a, 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 a turn, a light that comes on. We're told in Matthew chapter 27 and Mark that he had been. But then at some point, there is a recognition and a transformation that Jesus was his only hope. And what an incredible moment that was. The ministry of the cross is that Jesus offers salvation and that when we approach Him, we need to recognize that it is not for our, our, just our needs, but it's our greatest need, which is salvation. And I want us to see the rejection that happens. None. Zero rejection. Jesus declares what? Today you will be with me in paradise. Over and over again, the Word tells us, Romans chapter 10, 11, for the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be what? Put to shame. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Jesus does not reject those who come to Him. So I want us to understand the message of the cross is condemnation. The ministry of the cross, what Jesus does in this story is salvation and He offers it to all. But there is a master of this cross that I want us to see last and foremost. His greatest demonstration of His love 
I get so wrapped up in ministry oftentimes that, that uh, I've got project after project. I'm doing things, it seems like, all the time. And I get done and I sit down and I think, okay, what do I need to do next? And I can, I can get overwhelmed. And then what I want to do is nothing. And I studied this and I saw this uh, point years ago and it has forever changed my ministry. We can be too busy, but Jesus never is. Notice what it says. Three things. One answer. The answer from Jesus is yes to anyone who comes to Him. John 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes, I will never cast out. Never. There's one availability. The availability of Jesus is always. I mean, think about this for a moment with me. On the cross, dying breaths, hours, not days, hours to live. Someone comes to him while he is dying. And Jesus says, yes, I'm available. I'm available. chose to use his dying breaths to minister to a lost soul. Let that sink in for a moment. That Jesus' love was so great that in the midst of struggle and, and the ex- expenditure of energy, literal, physically exhausting energy, was to care for a lost soul. With Jesus, is never just words. It's action. And I want us to understand one assurance. And you can take this to your grave. If Jesus has the power to save while dying on a cross, be assured He can meet your needs anytime, anyplace. If Jesus has enough power that while He is dying with His last gasps of breath, that when He is expiring from this human body in this human form, if He has enough power and enough love to say, I will care and I will give assurance and I will give salvation to this man beside me in His last moments, then whatever your cross that you are on today is no match for the power of Jesus. I need to be reminded of these truths all the time. We walk through life with difficulties. We walk through life with various things going on. And and I think so oftentimes we forget about the cross or we forget about the significance of what's going on. But I want us to remember the message of the cross is my condemnation and Jesus' righteousness for me. We need to remember that that the... ministry of the cross is salvation. That Jesus' whole goal in all of this, and, and, and don't think for a moment that it wouldn't have been difficult for Jesus. He pleaded with uh, drops of blood, sweat, and tears in the garden. Father, if there's any other way, I'd love to do it, but you know what? Your will be done because Jesus had his mind set as we read in Luke's account that when 
Jesus was going on his final journey to Jerusalem. It says that he set his face like a flint. He was determined is the, 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 the phraseology there that he was going and nothing was going to deter him to the point where Peter steps up and he says, if they arrest you, I will not let that happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I am going to the cross. and I'm dying for people. And the master of the cross is our Savior who says no matter the time or the hour, no matter what is going on in life, no matter the circumstances, I am available for you, my people. And we need to be reminded of that when we are in despair. We need to be reminded of that when we are struggling through life. We need to be reminded of that. And we need to remind others of that truth when they are dying and heading to hell. Come to the cross is the plea of Jesus and He will guarantee you a place in paradise today. An incredible thing. It is no wonder that Jesus in looking at the people when they mocked Him and rebuked Him when He would preach and He would proclaim gospel truths and they would say, we, we know who your parents are. We know you're the illegitimate son of Mary. We know these things. We have Abraham as our father. And Jesus looks at him and he says, I have what you need. And in John chapter 5, verse 40, he says, Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. It's the beauty of the cross. And when we think through Easter, Good Friday, these things we can think through that what Jesus did and, and not lose sight because, you know, as Christians, we become so complacent or familiarized with the truths of Jesus dying on the cross that I think it loses meaning and power in our lives. But I would also encourage you with one other thing in regards to this passage. Are you too busy or too tired to minister? We talk about big plates, little plates, what we can handle. What, what is the purpose of this life, right? If it's not to minister one to another and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost and dying world. If Jesus, with His last breaths, could offer hope, He found time while hanging on a cross, struggling for each breath, I wonder if what we can evaluate in our lives, the things that might be taking our energy and sapping us and draining us so that we're not able to serve one another. Just a thought. So I want us to conclude this by thinking through the cross. Why is it so significant? Why is it, as we approach this, and you know, you'll see the scenes that oftentimes people have, maybe the pictures, and they'll have the three crosses. And next time you see the three crosses, I want us to remember the message of the cross. The message of the cross being condemnation. That Jesus was dying, and, and the purpose of the cross was death. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. The message of this cross is condemnation the thieves recognized it we are getting our just condemnation it is condemnation it is ugly it is brutal yet it is beautiful because of the ministry of the cross which is salvation that when we can come to him and recognize he is our one and only hope 
Jesus offers the greatest assurance. Today you will be with me in paradise. And last, the master of the cross. Jesus is always available. The answer is always yes. And he has the power to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that Jesus died on a cross for us. Father, we thank you that in the midst of his death, we have an incredible example of love that gives us hope today. Gives us hope that his, this thief's salvation was not based upon his merit. It was not based upon being baptized or taking communion or being a member of a church. But his hope of salvation was in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that there's anyone in here today who has placed their hope in anything other than Jesus and his work on the cross. That today they would declare, Lord, remember me when you come into your paradise. Because it's not in this life that we live for, but it's the life to come. Father, I pray that as we reflect upon the cross, that we would remember and be filled with hope and be filled with strength and energy for the day because we are reminded that we have a Savior who is able to save with His dying breaths. And not only that, but we know the end of the story. That death could not contain Him. And next week we celebrate a resurrected Savior. We thank You, Jesus. We give You glory, honor, and praise. Amen.